says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another instalment of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. And ladies and gentlemen, we're here. It's grand final week. We're kicking it off with our big news podcast, as always. Got 60s and Spiro on the line, ready to talk all things Parramatta in the NRL and NRLW. So let's get them on the holler. News team, assemble! Taking the first hit up this week is my good mate Sixties. How you doing, mate? Mate, pass the ball to me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Going to tear in as hard as Junior and Reg go, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's. Uh, I know the build-ups. We've been so busy. It's been almost impossible to get nervous because of it, but it's just starting to creep up on us now. Midweek here on the Wednesdays we record. Yeah, the energy is starting to really overflow. Speaking of. Time to get Spiro in here, mate. How are you doing with all the nerves and all the feelings? You've been absolutely flat chat. How are you holding up? I haven't stopped, guys. I'm feeling just a little bit gassed, and I know it's Wednesday, so I've got to start to pace myself <laughs> now, heading into Sunday. Dally M's tonight, I think, will just be a nice little relaxing. I, I, I completely there. forgot. Oh, my I'll God. I'll be watching it on TV. Um, so, yeah. Paper, feeling- mate. you got to taper. you got to, you know, like, you, you got to time these runs. In grand final week. <laughs> like a boxer, like a boxer, yep. you know, as you head into the, into the fight, you got to start to taper off. So, yeah, I'm going to, I'm just pacing myself. I had a nice little nana nap this afternoon and I'm yes, ready and yes. firing to go for a big news pod. The la- this, this will be our last official one of the year. And the good thing about this is you know that you've made it to the last, last day of footy in the calendar for season 2022. So it's a good feeling. Yeah, it's such a special feeling. And, you know, I, like, like I've written about in the recent weeks, boys, I feel like teams like the Melbourne Storm, the Sydney Roosters, and most recently the Penrith Panthers have sort of maybe diluted the value for a lot of fans of making a grand final because they've been so good so consistently and they've been in so many big dances. But this is such a special occasion. You know, you've got to really soak it in, enjoy it all, the, the highs, the lows, the nerves – there is nothing quite like it. It's a great week to be a Parramatta fan and, and you see scenes that you haven't seen in such a long time. Back in 09, I didn't really remember the build-up too much. I was only a young fella, but I can really enjoy this week and it's a, it's real pinch yourself stuff. And after the, the win on Friday, which we'll dive into in a moment, I really did, uh, I don't know, refer to that as a pinch yourself yeah, moment. And, yep. and only a couple times in my life there's been a, a, an event or, or something which has occurred where it's taken a number of days for me to put that through my mind and for it to actually sink in. It's only happened a, a very rare few times, maybe a handful, maybe four or five or six times, and this is one of them. So it, it's, it took a number of days to sink in. It's still just a little bit surreal thinking that we're <laughs> going to be there on Sunday. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's just it still takes a bit of time to sink in, but – Come, I think, you know, Friday, Saturday, it's it's going to be real. So, can't wait. Well, you've teed me up spectacularly. Well, we, uh, I, I, I have to interrupt here because I want to get in I want to get in an early plug. The uh, Cumberland Throw is at Parramatta Leagues Club, 7.30 Friday night with a Road to the Grand Final special podcast. So, people that are listening, 
if you want to get down to Jack's Bar and Grill on Friday night. Uh, as has been mentioned, the content's going crazy on the Cumberland Throw. Uh, Parramatta Leagues Club's the home of the Eels. We've come together. We're making it all about the Parramatta Reels in there this week. Well, as it always is in there. But, yeah, join us in Jack's Bar and Grill, 7.30 mm-hmm. Friday night, the road to the grand final. Yeah, well, Spiro teed me up almost perfectly for what, where I want to go to first open this podcast because casting our eyes back to the weekend, to that trip up to Townsville on Friday, 24-20 victory after being down by eight in the final quarter of play. Where exactly does that preliminary final win stack up, boys? Is it one of the greatest victories in the modern era for the Eels? Uh, I mean, obviously there's some stuff from 2009, uh, but this one was quite a unique one between the, the torrid conditions, all the narrative, everyone sort of writing the Eels off as not being able to back up that win against the Raiders. I, I don't know where it stacks up for you guys, but it's pretty high up there for me. Yeah, I think you'd probably have to say it's the biggest win in at least – 13 years, that Bulldogs preliminary final in 09 would have been probably, you know, a very, very close second or that would have been very significant. But I think this is this is it. You know, when you look at, as you mentioned, no one gave us a chance. The heat, um, you know, the Cowboys never losing a final in Townsville. We have only won, I think, two games in Townsville in the last 10 years or some, you know, absurd stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Everything was against us, you know. Um, not finding out that news pregame that Mitch Moses missed the birth of his child. Where was he going to be from a mental point of view? Lost his grandmother earlier that week. I didn't know how we would turn up, but the guts and the effort and the will to turn up for one another was unlike anything I think I've I've seen from Parramatta in the modern era. That defensive effort in the second half, and they really stood up and took the game um, into their own hands. Coming from 12, uh, 20 to 12 down to then win that game 24 points to 20. Mammoth effort. Mammoth effort. And strategically, I think we timed, timed our run really, really well. We, we saved a little bit in the tank for the back end of that game. And I'd probably say that the key turning point and the key moment was Sean Lane's intercept, intercept of that Scott Drinkwater mm. pass. Um, you look at that moment and you say, wow, that really was the turning point. And it wasn't a huge turning point in the sense that the intercept directly led to a try, but just it changed the momentum of the game. And from there, we got a real roll on and we were able to, to get a move along and, and um, you know, get the, get the win and get the, the points that we needed to get over the line. So it ranks as me as, as the best win in club history in 13 years at the very least. And even better than that, you know, this, this uh, since 2000 might be our, Biggest win since 2000. So we've got an opportunity to make history on Sunday, but we, I think we all need to just take a moment and reflect on what a great result it was on Friday night. I, I have to say that as someone who's watched the Eels for over 55 years, it was in one of the more emotional res- results that I've dealt with as an Eels supporter. And... I, I, mean, I was there for the first grand final. I was there for the first premiership win. And I'm not sure that I was as emotional about some of those big games as I was the other night. And I think I think it was for all those reasons that you mentioned as well, Spiro. It was a game that none of it, none of it was on the Eels' terms. It was, everything was stacked against the team the stats showed that i mean the venue 
was hostile for for the club. Uh, there was the supporters were watching from afar, and yet the emotion, even though they were watching from afar, was just something that I hadn't seen before. Um, yeah, Forty and I were in tears at the club. Complete strangers were coming over in tears and hugging us and and what have you. Just the that raw release of emotion when that full time siren went. It was it was something that, um, considering we weren't even at the game, considering we're watching it remotely, I I, I didn't think it was going to be possible to be that emotional. And we're not talking about a premiership being one. We're talking about just getting into the grand final. So just to put that into perspective, it was, in terms of a big match, I, I think it was such a, a pivotal moment in the club's recent history that the importance of it, I don't think, can be understated. Even without, and I hope that the players aren't thinking like this and thinking that, oh, we've done the big, you know, we've we've, we've got the main task done. And now it's just the cream I, I think on top. If, if you recall back to the post-game coverage, their reactions were telling. They were obviously happy they won, but they knew that there was one more game to play. I think you know, sure. ju- Junior and whatnot were you know hands up to the camera just saying one more game, one more game. So they they didn't let the – we spoke about the importance of you know harnessing your emotions. I think they've got it right here. You know They, they obviously channeled it very well against the Cowboys, but they didn't let it over, over, overflow or overspill uh, after that game because they knew that the, the task wasn't done. Yeah, and They're keeping a lid on it. They're mm-hmm. keeping a lid on Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, you, you, were, you were out there on the field talking to the players on the open uh, on open training day, mate, at, mm. um, and I'm sure you'll be able to share some of the, your observations from that in a mo- momentarily, but we saw the images on uh, the television after, uh, apart from the – uh, celebrating with the team song when it was time for all the chats in the dressing room, you could see it was all, it was like every player almost was in their own headspace, thinking about the the job ahead of them, and yeah. the and the feedback that I've had from within the club since that time basically confirmed that that um, they enjoyed the moment and it was a very quick moment, like they said straight after the game, everyone's happy, what have you. And literally, from the time they were settled in the dressing room, it was all about now. Let's let's start thinking about next week. And yeah, the the they didn't over celebrate. They they were focused. There's a job still to do. I really like what I've seen, guys. Because for a starter, they didn't get one game ahead of themselves. If you know what I mean, I've just felt like they were so focused on last Friday night's game. They didn't have their mind on the grand final during that game. Whereas some teams at times can get fixated on that and, and lose focus. But they were really focused on just grinding out a, a fantastic 80-minute performance and getting into the grand final rather than thinking too far ahead. So the focus was there. And as you mentioned, um, BA, I think, said it after the Bulldogs game that he's seen a look in his team's eyes after that, or, you know, heading into that Bulldogs game and after that Bulldogs game, and that's just continued on. So it's great to see, and it's really important because – as much as this this week is about um, you know on the field and, and how you perform and, and you know the, the best eighty minutes that you've ever played, it's also about the mental side of things and being focused. And I sense that on Monday as well. I spoke to a number of players, and it was very clear that they still have a job to do. They want to go out there on Sunday and finish the task because it's not done yet. 
and we actually caught up with you when things were still very much raw on the Saturday morning after that victory and got your thoughts then. With the benefit, I want to say with the benefit of a few nights rest, but I mean that, that much rest for you, mate. But with the benefit of half a week now of uh, hindsight and a chance to digest yeah. what had happened, who and what impressed you the most out of that win? Because there were some real key turning points in this game. You've already mentioned Sean Lane. He obviously stands right yeah. at the top of the pile, but who else among them outside of Sean uh, really caught your eye? Yeah, it's hard to sort of pinpoint one player from that game, you know, that, you know, impressed me the most or even hard to pick a man of the match. I think Sean Lane deserved it, but there were so many other players across the park that contributed and, you know, were really impressive. And I think Will Penasini deserves a bit of a rap because the last month of football has been exceptional. I mean, he's been the first try scorer two or three Mm. times in that Melbourne game, uh, in the Canberra game and then Cowboys game. And... He's really playing in some great form and he's, he's taken his football to the next level. This has been his, re- his first real season of first grade. And I think, you know, he, he's been solid. He was solid the first half of the year. He did his job. He didn't do anything wrong. But I just feel like he's coming into his own at the moment. And um, yeah, that's I, very good. Very good call, Spiro, because yeah. there, there's probably been some games through the middle of the year where he had some struggles. But he's he's now producing elite level performances, big time. You know, and there was so much talk. He's mates with Joseph Suwali, their friends. Who was the better player? There was probably more hype around Suwali. Sorry, and Panasini probably had a little bit more uh, hidden talent that people didn't know about. So I, I've been really happy with what I've seen from Will. And my observations from Monday were that he really soaked it up the, at the fan day. He signed every autograph, took every photo. He was one of the last ones out there, him and Junior Baolo. I was there. I was waiting for them and, and not rushing them at all. I was just happy to sit and watch and, and witness them engaging with the fans. And, mm-hmm. and Josh Drayton, who's uh, one of the lead club or the, the media boss at the club, went over there at one point and sort of had to hurry him up a bit. But the players <laughs> were so adamant on staying there and keeping all the fans happy before going to the media. And I respect that. You know, I respect that because – these guys have waited a long time. Junior Bowler has waited a long time. Will Panasini hasn't had to wait as long. But two guys that have been absolutely brilliant this year on the field, they bleed blue and gold off the field. And they just love the club and they'll do anything to keep the fans happy. So Will Panasini's one. And Mike Acevo as well. I think he's been one of the unsung, unsung heroes in the, the back end of the year. I know he hasn't scored as many tries as maybe usual. But defensively, his reads have improved out of sight. He's in such great form, and I think he's going to play a crucial role on um, Sunday as well. I think he's going to line up against Charlie Staines. Now, that's probably one of the uneven battles where Parramatta probably have the edge over Penrith. I feel like when you look at the two teams, it's very even across the park. But Sevo v Staines, it's going to be a bit of an uneven matchup. I think Sevo has the wood on Staines, and it's going to be really important how he contains um, you know that side of the Penrith field. So... It's um yeah, it's Micah for me has been one of my standouts in the the back end of the year as well. Yeah, Micah's story is one of it's hard to to qualify this, but it's one of those ones where fans don't see the hard work because he obviously had that initial knee injury suffered against Manly with uh, the Brad Parker tackle back in 2020, I think it was, and that sort of followed with some middling form from the big man that eventually you know concluded with that season-ending ACL injury. And obviously the work that he's putting behind the scenes 
has not just got him back in the career-best shape, but also career-best form. And he has been absolutely titanic since coming back midway through the season this year. Is it? I think it might even be fair to say that becoming a father maybe has helped to sharpen his yeah, focus. I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think that's unfair either. We, we know that you know the mantle of fatherhood is one of the heaviest responsibilities you can bear, and clearly it's done wonders for him too. And Clint Gutherson, they've both become fathers in the duration of this year, and they've both taken their game to the next level, and we're going to probably see the same with Mitch Moses hopefully on Sunday as well. Yes, indeed. And look, we, we've obviously been speaking about the virtues of the Parramatta game here and what they did in that, between the defensive grit and then the desperation with the ball in hand to get over the line against the Cowboys. And I do want to shout out Todd Payton here, who has been magnificent and magnanimous in defeat. But a lot has been made of the controversial forward pass call. I know Graham Manners who came out in his uh, Monday morning presser, his debrief of the weekend action, and said that, yes, it was a forward pass call, although nowhere near as egregious as a lot of the media make it out to be. Has the reaction been over the top, Spiro? Because this was a game where certainly not every call went the Parramatta's way. And you, know, you look mm. after that, I think there was a missed knock-on from Kyle Felt on the short dropout in the lead-up to the uh, first try to Ruben Cotter. And then Mitchell Moses, who Graham Manners did say, was actually interfered with, although he did go on to say that the bunker would not have had the power to uh, resign that decision because it was in the play, because it was in the actual play of the ball. It counts as the play before the actual try. So, yeah, what, what's your take on all that? Because, like I said, Todd Payton, his response was magnificent, and that's why a lot of the reason why I think the Cowboys are in good hands. But then the fallout afterwards between fans and media has been a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, you've got to um. You've got to give Todd Payton a lot of credit because he was very, very classy in that post-match press conference and, and I was really impressed by what I saw from him. I think, in a way, it's been a bit over the top. Fatty Vaughton on the coverage said six metres forward, which is <laughs> a, a huge exaggeration. And uh, the reality is that, you know, you cop the rub of the green. Every club gets good calls and bad calls. And as you mentioned, they all balance out at the end of the day. And I think the reality is a lot of people have come to the... Uh, agree or you know have, have agreed to the fact that Parramatta were the better team probably and deserved a win in that second half and they really fought for it. So some people have sort of put that decision, that controversial one to one side and focus more on um, Parramatta's performance. But I think it, whoever, the people that did make a, a, a deal of it, they went over the top because at the end of the day, you get some good ones, you get some bad calls. It, it's a mixed bag. So you just got to take what you get. Now, 60s, I, I think between you and Spiro, we've got a, a fascinating barometer for this next question because the Cowboys' victory, and I know we've, we've touched on the significance of it, but between Spiro's younger perspective and your more seasoned perspective, what do we think it means to the players, the coaches, and also us supporters to get through to that first grand final in just about 13 years to get the monkey on our monkey off our back well, or multiple monkeys off our back? Okay, well, I... I gave the uh, old man perspective uh, a little <laughs> bit before that, that I touched on that because I think for the long-term supporters who have maybe seen the victories happen before, um, they've also, by the same token, if you've seen the victories before, you've experienced every one of those 36 years <laughs> since. <laughs> you know, like if you're younger and you've never seen a victory um, – you've never felt what it was like to win. But uh, by the same token, those of us who have, have, yeah, we, we've felt the full length of time. And I have to be honest, there, there's 
been times over the years, especially in the in the tougher years, where I felt like we are we were so far away from uh, changing that pattern that um, I, I couldn't see whether it would necessarily happen in my lifetime, which might seem ridiculous. But you know, there were times when I felt that way. And look, that's not saying we're across the line this week, but it just felt like we were so far away from getting to a decider um, or even into the finals for as as we failed to do for when we were sitting right at the bottom of the comp with dual wooden spoon mm-hmm. years, which, you know, you just didn't think you'd you'd ever see again with the Eels in the modern era. But, um, look, I think for supporters, the emotions that we saw after the game said it all. When, when you have people in tears, as we were, as we saw others were, that's showing that the emotions can't be held in. And the people weren't afraid to to let it out. And the number of messages that I've had <laughs> about that has been uh, unbelievable. I, I, I would know that there are many, many thousands who reacted in exactly the same way. To the coach, he started his journey as an eel supporter. Yeah, he, he is paramedic. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the Arthur family has dates back to 1947 with being supporters of the club from uh, from his his uh, grandfather his well Brad's great grandfather grandfather father were all at the very first game in 1947 uh, his his mother uh, his sorry his grandmother was the um, secretary or treasurer of the Eels supporters club um, his father, Ted, was involved in being a uh, selector and assistant coach through the junior for the junior rep pathways. Um, and Brad himself, of course, was a, a junior rep player and lower grade player for the Eels. Their, their passion for the club is there over five, six generations. And obviously it's continuing on with uh, young Jake being in the team. So I think for the coach... There's first of all an emotional, personal connection that it, that, where it means so much to him. He's at the club, which he absolutely has a passion for. So I think it's really important to him from first of all that personal level. But he's the sort of coach as well that doesn't put his personal feelings first. No. He's the sort of coach. He's the sort of coach who it's all about the players and it's all about the fans. He wants this. For the playing group that's there, he wants this for the fans that are there. And I say he wants it for the fans that are there because he understands what fans go through because he's been a, a fan as a, as a young bloke and as his family have been fans for generation upon generation. So he understands what it means to supporters. So he gets the importance then to supporters. And for the mm. players, I'm sure that... It, you know, being able to make their own history is so important because there's always the reference to the 1980s and the glory years of the Eels. So I think these players, whether they're players that are moving on, whether they're players that are staying there, if they can etch their name into the history, make their own history with the Eels, I mean, not only is it is that something that they'd want to achieve, but of course their own individual goals of being a premiership winner, they would have dreamt about it as kids. So I'm sure that it means 
um, a lot on many different levels for the players themselves. So, um, you know, maybe our 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 feelings as are no different to the supporters, the players, the coaching staff of any other club. But I really think we've got something unique in the fact that the Eels have been through so many hard times. The fact that we've got a, a coach who has generational support and passion for the club and that we've got that group of players who, um, you know, are really looking to carve their own niche in the history of the NRL and the Eels. So uh, there's your old man take. (laughs) Spiro, what are your thoughts on it quickly, mate? Yeah, look, I mean, as a young fan, um, just a lot of relief. I just think for me that's probably the biggest thing that we finally actually made a grand final. Because I never like I couldn't see this day happening. If you know what I mean, I, you know it's a cliche, but it's true. Like you know, you dream of it, or you you fantasize, or you think one day that will be us. But I just never saw it happening. And to be honest with you, I didn't really see it happening this year. If you go back six eight weeks, none of us probably would have thought we would have made the grand final. And it's been a mammoth effort from this playing group. And the switch really clicked after that Rabbitohs lost that terrible result at home. And since then, we have played every single game to our best and you've got to give them a lot of credit for the way they've handled it. But that, that probably sums it up for me that just the satisfaction, the relief to finally be there, such a special uh, special thing you know, for fans that have stuck with this club because many years they're winning back-to-back wooden spoons, salary cap dramas, wooden spoons again in 2018, hit a bit of a hurdle there. You know, All the negative headlines that Parramatta constantly cop. And then for, for us finally to progress through to the final game of the year, it's just such a special feeling. And I'll never forget this, you know, that game, that win. And let's hope that we never, regardless of what happens, we'll never forget this grand final because we all remember 09. But let's hope that we remember this grand final for all the right reasons. And they're a great playing group and they've got a great chemistry, a great connection. I think they've got what it takes to, to win it. Now, speaking of the grand final and making the most of it, there's been a bit of chatter about Mitchell Moses and his premiership clause and what that's worth to him and the Parramatta Eels, which sort of inspires this line of thought. How much is making the grand final worth, or perhaps more importantly, winning the title itself? Is there a dollar figure you can put on it? Because obviously we've, we've quantified it with Mitch with whatever his bonus is to win the premiership. But as fans... Like, what, what, what do you attach to a grand final victory here, to that drought breaker? Like, can you qualify? Can you quantify it? I, look, I don't think you can, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think you put a dollar value on it because it's just such a such a huge thing. There's so much meaning behind it. It's more than just a win and a game. It's about the culture, the feel, how fans are, are, are going to react to it. So you can't put a dollar value on it. And to be perfectly honest, Mitch has a $100,000 um, bonus up for grabs if, if, if Parramatta win. Um, but... I don't really think that plays in his mind. Oh, that, that, would, that wouldn't be well extra better. incentive whatsoever, would it? Yeah, he's focused purely on the game itself. Yeah, I, look, Mitch is very well set up. He's very uh, well advised. He owns plenty of property. He's a very smart bloke. Um, so for him, I don't think money's really like a, a big thing or, or something that's in his mind. Great, it's a little bonus. But I just think this playing group really want to do something special. I, I think that at the end of the day, they are just so laser-like focused. They want to send... A lot of their guys out on a high and in what's going to be their last game for the club. And I think that's what 
their incentive and their motive is all about. It's not necessarily about money or what their dollar value is going to be like or whatever. Our playing group are very selfless by the sounds of things and they're very much about themselves as a group. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 what they're they're in it for. They're in it to to create history, to etch their names into um, Parramatta dynasty and Parramatta folklore, and that's what they they want. So I don't think you put a dollar value on it. It's it's just such a, a huge thing for all involved. Oh, look, I think there is very much those intangibles that you spoke about, because uh, and and there's a wonderful narrative about Mitch Moses being an Eels supporter upset at the loss in 2009 and mm. um and, and yes he started his uh, junior representative career at the Parramatta Reels before um switching over to the Tigers but um there's also however i think the um a, a value that comes from um we know they'll probably pick up more uh memberships as a result of being in a grand final um sponsorship That'd be interesting. How much? Whether there's um, uh, uh, that increases, as Spiro said, it's hard to put a dollar value on all of these things because it's the unknown about about what it does bring because it's it hasn't happened as yet. Maybe it does. Maybe there's some inquiries that the Eels commercial team are already fielding because of of where they are. Um, there's maybe the attraction for players to come and play at a, a team that's in the grand final or a team that are, that are the premiers. Um, because there's certainly the downside of that where you lose players because of the salary cap. Mm-hmm. But then there's the then there's potentially the upside where, um, like Melbourne have had over the years, where players want to come there because they know that they get developed as a player. Now, the interesting thing was Sean Lane's appearance on NRL 360 the other night. Uh, last night, where he was asked about is the premiership window closing, and he said something like, "Well, that's very short-sighted, because the players that they're going to be losing a few years back, they weren't the stars of the game. They weren't going to be attracting the big dollar contracts. They were all players that were developed at the club." And then he said, "He he was a player himself that's benefited by being developed at the club," and he said that he has every faith in the coaches that they will continue to develop players uh, next year and the and the following years, just like they have with the players that uh, are leaving. So, um, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it is hard to put a value on what it is, but I think it's so many of these intangibles that can result in the team, in the club being stronger. And I think that's mm. – and I so I think the benefits there are hard to put a dollar value on, but – um, every club would every club would want whatever benefits do come their way as a result of it. And, of and you mentioned, you know, Sean Lane and 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 Wee's comments, and I agree with them wholeheartedly because when you look at it, you got Reid Marnie departing, but an experienced hooker in Josh Hodgson that'll replace him, and if he can stay fit, will be a massive asset to the club. You got Jermaine Hopgood, who's just won a premiership in the New South Wales Cup, captaining the Penrith Panthers side, who probably I think maybe indirectly replaces someone like a Marada near Kore. Mm-hmm. There's now talk that Liam Martin may join Parramatta, who could be a, a bit of a like-for-like um, replacement for Isaiah Papali'i. And then, you know, Ray Stone and Oregon Kafusi, two guys that are leaving that will leave a bit of a dent, but are not going to be huge losses. So, yeah, I, I agree with Sean Lane. I think 
there's a there's a quality team there. And if they were if they were to go on and win a premiership this Sunday, they will lift and grow and become better players as a result. And of course, with Sean Lane, there's some good news we'll talk about at the end of the podcast. But you know, he's not going anywhere is the gist of it, which is very very cool stuff. But with a grand final, naturally takes two to tango. And uh, at one point, it looked like we might be versing the South Sydney Rabbitohs in the big dance, but. The Penrith Panthers sort of put paid to that with uh, an absolutely brilliant individual try to Brian Toto in the shadow of halftime that arrested momentum back into their hands. How did you see that game, Spiro? Because there was uh, some spiteful feelings, a bit of argy-bargy here and there. South Sydney had the hot start, but just couldn't maintain the rage. Yeah, I think uh, mentally as well, the way in which the Panthers finished that second half uh, and the way they came home really strong that changed the whole me- mentality and the dynamic of the game. And there were a few controversial calls there as well. I think Penrith were by far the better team. I know South started fast, but I just feel that um, that Penrith were – they were classy. They were classy, um, you know, hard to stop, but South proved that they are a good finals footy team. We all know that. And they've once again come up short. You know, I think five straight years they made a prelim – uh, and they have not won a premiership. It's, so it's both some question- simultaneously incredibly impressive and incredibly depressing, isn't it, for South Sydney fans? Yeah, yeah. And I think Cameron Murray in the post-match press conference summed that up. You could see the frustration on his mm-hmm. face and, and you could see the disheartened uh, emotion which he was sort of experiencing. But you, you can understand that because they've come so close yet so far the last five years. And as I mentioned, I think credit to South, they started fast. They showed that... Penrith are beatable and you can match them. But at the end of the day, if you switch off, if you are sloppy in defense and if you let Penrith get the upper hand, it's a long way back from there. So it's a, it's an interesting one. But in a grand final, I think anything can happen. That all goes out the window, especially when you're going to have a, a, a dominant crowd um, for, you know, a dominant Parramatta crowd that will really help our team get over the line. But, um, but I think it was a good eye-opener for everyone. And bizarrely, the biggest storyline that come out of that game was the trainer controversy where we had a bit of a he said, they said sort of situation with uh, allegations of uh, injury history being brought up and whatnot. Uh, I know that Penrith said they had the audio to clear their trainer and now Jed Cartwright's come out and had his say. Has that put it to bed? I think so, guys. I think the reality is if the player does not have an issue with it, then there is no issue there. If the player's upset and shaken up and offended, well, fine. Fair enough. A bit like the Jamin Salmon, just using it as an example. I know the context and what happened was totally different, but if a player is visibly and clearly taken aback by comments or the way that they've been treated by you know, someone from the opposing club, well, that's fine and, and they have a right to be and then you know, it's not put to bed. But if, someone, if the player comes out and clears the air, well, then I think you move on from it. You accept that, okay, probably out of line, but if the player was fine with it, play on. Yeah, I my take on this is, is fairly straightforward, and it's not too different uh, from yours there, Spiro. I think that the uh, Jed Cartwright has effectively uh, put it to bed in terms of what was actually said. Uh, however, I think that just like the NRL moved last year to make a change on trainer involvement around injuries, which came about for the same trainer <laughs> and his interference in the uh, in stopping the game between Parramatta and Penrith, I think they also need to send a directive to 
the trainers, and it and it particularly does seem to apply to uh, Penrith, because even if it was um, a bit of banter from the the trainer to Jed Cartwright, or or done in an audible level so that Jed Cartwright could hear what was said, and 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 it and even if it's good natured, I don't believe there should be any way that trainers' comments are directed towards or have an impact on an opposing team's players. They should be literally invisible out there. Now, I know there's a lot of issues over the years with Alan Langer, where he's almost <laughs> been functioning as a coach out there and talking far too much. But we've seen we've seen the incident last year that happened with the same trainer coming on for Penrith. It resulted in a real change. We also saw the footage that NRL 360 showed of Elford, the other Penrith trainer, having a crack at Reed Marnie and then causing Reed to have a go back at him. And then you saw Elford like going, doing his hand actions, like off you go, off you go. And I'm thinking, now that is a massive line that's been crossed. And I'm amazed that that didn't attract more scrutiny. attention yeah. and scrutiny than it, than it did. I, I think there is a line in the sand. I think there are Penrith trainers, the Penrith trainers do push that line whether it's well intentioned or, or or not in the case of what's happened with the you know the the last incident but there is a line that they're crossing and i think there's a directive that's needed from the NRL saying look you're out there to treat injuries do not interact with the players from the other team and it's as simple as that and if you and if you do interact with players from another team, expect a consequence, as, as minor as it might be. Your job is not to speak to the opposition. Your job is to be out there and, and treat the injured players in your team, full stop. Mm. So uh, I think that's fair. And yeah. you mentioned Alfie Langer. Agree. You know, someone needs to say something to that bloke because he just <laughs> um, he just overdoes it. He oversteps a mark. So it's, uh, it's very frustrating and something needs to be done. Line needs to be drawn in the sand, I think. And of course, yeah. the Panthers had a number of uh, players that were facing potential suspension or injury concerns out of this game, but they look to have a clean bill of health and a clean uh, charge sheet in terms of uh, suspensions. Had fines rather than suspensions, sorry, got there. Uh, but the, probably the big one was Spencer Lenu with that nasty hit from Tane Milne. He, he's been cleared. I, I use that very loosely. He can't remember the game, but shows no signs of concussion apparently. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see if the Panthers get the same treatment as we got with Mitchell Moses this week, which I doubt. Uh, but it does set up some insane storylines for this game, boys. Obviously, on the Penrith side, they're chasing the Quadrilla, the SG Ball Premiership, the Jersey Flag Premiership, the New South Wales Cup Premiership. All that's left now is the NRL Premiership, which is an incredible uh, gambit on their side. But for the Parramatta Reels, not only are they chasing a 36-year drought breaker in the NRL, their first grand final in 13 years, but our men have been joined by our women in the NRLW Grand Final after one of the ultimate underdog stories as they knocked off the unbeatable, invincible Sydney Roosters to book their spot in the Grand Final, becoming the first club or franchise since the 2018 Sydney Roosters to be simultaneously represented in the NRL and NRLW Grand Finals and the first in the six-team era as well. So well done to the club, well done to our ladies there. What's our take on the NRLW Grand Final, boys? Because this is a, a case of a new era for the code. It's the first time ever that a non-franchise, uh, sorry, non-foundation franchise, uh, or two of them at least, are, are in the grand final. So there's no Roosters, no Dragons, no Broncos, uh, none of them. Wh- where, where are we with this one? Because so many emotions in that game on Sunday, 
can they mm. like, the, like the men you know put it put a bottle on it and sort of channel that energy into one more victory yeah, just come, yeah sorry 60s you I, go ahead yeah, yeah i just i just wanted to jump in here quickly with this because um we were so moved that we did a special um edition of the podcast dedicated to the nrlw uh finals win over the over the roosters but i just wanted to jump in because there is a real um uh, energy and uh, team spirit that's in this Eels NRLW team. I've been fortunate enough to uh, to watch a number of training sessions in both seasons, but just the the leadership and the enthusiasm that's there in the team, like it is tangible. Like it is really tangible. I, I've I've been able to listen to their leaders talk to the team. Um, Tiana Penatani and Samai Matalfa, my goodness, you would not find better leaders in any NRL team, let alone in any NRLW team. Um, they are a big part of um, guiding the team, obviously, on top of the, the fine staff that they've got there. We're aware of a lot of the staff there. We know a lot of the staff because they're Parramatta Eels Pathways staff who have, uh, have been moved into looking after the the uh, NRLW team as as support staff. So they are great people that, that are there. They are Parramatta people that are in there. And um, I think they've trans... There's a like such a strong spirit in this girls' team, this women's team, and um, seeing that manifest now in the way that they play. Because, yes, they're, they're, they they play faster with a lot more energy than they did in the season, in the 2021 season that was played at the start of this year. There is, yes, there are different players in some key positions, which has, has changed the tempo at which they play. But what you're actually seeing is a further development of the spirit of the team. And you can see them build, even without the wins, you can see them building into their identity throughout the games this year. And if the if the season was going longer, you can actually see from last week that this is a team that was on a roll right now. They started yes. that roll. The roll started even in some of the losses. They shouldn't have lost to the Knights. Their, their, their previous clash, it, it was diabolical, the decisions that they faced against them then. So there's going to be a motivation there besides, you know, the, their, their preparations, which I'm sure they will... They will do quite well. And and can I encourage people, there is an open training session tomorrow afternoon at Maris Brothers at Westmead. Um, I think kicking off around about the 5.30 mark. Check check emails or notifications, but they have got an open training session there um, so people can go along and, and cheer them just like they did with the Eels. But, mate, I, I just wanted to jump in there because um, they are a team that is worthy of, you know, so worthy of wearing the blue and gold you're some, a team that we can be proud of, and I hope people get out there early to cheer them on. And Dean Witters has I found rem- a little secret sauce, hasn't he, Spiro, with the, the recent changes bringing Kennedy Charrington and Brooke Anderson to the starting lineup? Mm-hmm. He's made a heap of changes, especially to the halves combo as well. I know Lasana Lutu started the season in the halves, and um, Brooke Morgan Walker started there as well, but take some serious guts to do what Dean Witters has done and reshuffle the lineup so much. You mentioned there um, Brooke Anderson. Kennedy Charrington, she has been in unbelievable form. Yep. I think she ran for more than 200 metres on Sunday. Uh, Back-to-back weeks over 200, yeah. So absolutely yeah. monstrous performances. And just brings an energy, brings a passion to that 
to that team. I was at Suncorp for the Roosters game in the Channel 9 commentary box um, on Sunday afternoon. And I, I had a chat with um, Ruan Sims and Alana Ferguson, two experts in the NRLW and, and the women's game. Mm-hmm. And they were just wrapped. They were so impressed by what they saw from Parramatta. And as 60s touched on, the reality is this team probably deserved to win a lot more games yes. during the regular season. Narrow margin. I think they lost three weeks in a row by two points. You know, And I was gutted for that team. And I thought, what a shame. But they found a way to make it into the finals, beat the Broncos. They caused a huge upset against the Roosters, who were probably favourites to win it at the start of the season, who were favourites to win it last weekend. But... Um, Parramatta showed that they had the heart and the desire and the want to um, rewrite the wrongs and sort of make up for the lost ground and the and the, the close losses they've had throughout the season. So this is a massive game, a rematch of the 2001 NRL Grand Final, know, Parramatta yeah. Newcastle, and um, and you'd probably say that uh, it's the other way around this time because yeah. Parramatta were the favourites heading into it, Newcastle the underdogs. And we know what happened there. And in this case, you'd probably say the Knights are the favourites, Parramatta the underdog. So let's hope we see a, a, a replica of that result where the team that was not favoured heading into the clash actually comes out on top. And I think, you know what, 60s touchdown, and I encourage a lot of people to get out there early and support them. 100%. I think that there will be heaps of para fans there. I know that even within my circles, I've spoken to a lot of people that are really excited about this prospect. And what a wonderful day to, to what a wonderful way to kick it off, you know, with a four o'clock twilight match. I know we all like our afternoon footy, so no better way to yeah, no, that no, up. Yeah, no, no excuses not to be there because it is the the perfect kickoff time, isn't it? Yeah, and you you know, and everyone knows how hard it was to get tickets. We'll touch on that in a moment. How expensive it was. So make the most of it. Make a day of it. Get out there nice and early. Soak up the atmosphere. And I think, especially in the second half, there will be a ton of Eels fans there that'll be cheering the girls on. And they're going to have a huge advantage when it comes to the crowd. There'll be barely any Newcastle fans there, just given that um, you know that they haven't soul, got a team in the representation. NRL. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think you know it's all it's ours. You know it's ours for the taking. We're going to have the crowd behind us, building off two brilliant performances. We've got some momentum. Some of our players in fine form. Rakia Horn as well. She's one of my favourites. I think she's she's been in some brilliant form. Scored some great mm. tries and. And really elusive um, on that edge, but Kennedy Charrington, you know, she do, she um, epitomises the heart and the soul of Parramatta uh, through and through. You know, yep. she bleeds blue and gold. She loves the club, and it's so good to see her doing well. I know she's had a, her ups and downs over her career in the rugby union arena and whatnot, but great to see some success for for Kennedy Charrington. Yeah, and like I said, just incredible storylines for both the Panthers and the Eels. One club looking for the four premierships across the junior and senior grades in the men, and the Eels with a bid to become the first ever team to win both the NRL and NRLW titles in the same season. So something special is going to happen on Sunday, hopefully for Parramatta. And of course, with the NRLW spirit, just quickly, there's some good news. I think they're in the uh, closing stages of uh, ratifying new contract structures of players moving to a 12-month contract instead of the uh, three- or four-month contract that is in existence right now, which means better access to support for injured players and uh, you know better coverage across the entire calendar year. And I think the other thing is that they're looking at a $30,000 minimum salary, which I think is probably still too low, but it is a good starting point. It helps these women pursue their professional career. But hopefully, as the NRLW expands and takes off, they can get that figure up sooner rather than later. For sure. I mean, next year it goes to 10 teams as well, um, which makes a big difference. And that's this is what needs to be done. These girls are 
they're performing at the same level as the men. Like they're playing at such a high intensity. I know it's not the exact same, but they're playing at a, a really high standard, high quality of football. And it's really difficult for them because they do have full-time jobs during the week. I know Jamie Soward mentioned it in a press conference, a Dragons press conference earlier in the season, something along the lines of, you know, if you expect these girls to, to play at the same level as the men, well, pay them a full-time wage yeah. and allow them to really focus on their football because a lot of these girls have to, to work on the side as well. And finally, you know, we're seeing some positive signs that they're going to get what they deserve. And and as you, as you mentioned, you know, it's still a long way to go. But um, this is definitely a, a step forward in the right direction. And it's a sign that the women are finally being accepted and acknowledged because the quality of football is so high level. I've enjoyed it from day one. Yeah. I remember yeah. when it was foundation clubs back in, you know, 2018. I think mm-hmm. 2018 was the first year Correct. that we had NRLW. Watching the Dragons play, you know, I, I like a few of their players. I thought they were brilliant and, and just getting involved in the competition. But now it's really coming to a turn. And to have a Parramatta team there and in the grand final is super special. But, you know, I know a few people that are involved in the women's game. As I said, Jamie Soward, uh, a colleague of mine. And, you know, I know a few other of the, the players coming through the ranks. And it's such an exciting time to be involved in the women's game. And the contract talks, I believe, are going to, uh, for next season, are going to start once everything wraps up uh, pretty much immediately. I mean, yes. once the men, men's grand final wraps up, all focus will be on that. Uh, you know, teeing up contracts and working out movements for next season. But I think we're going to see probably one of the most turbulent off-seasons in the women's game because you've got four franchises yeah, coming in. There will be frenzy. movement. Yep. And we've re- Parramatta really have to take advantage of the opportunity that they've got in front of them now to win a title with this playing group because you might see the likes of Tiana Penatani maybe go to the, the Sharks where she plays a Harvey Norman football. Or you might see... Um, uh, you know, a few of the other players. Uh, I think uh, Brooke Anderson is um, with the Sharks as well. So, you know, she might go go to Cronulla. You don't know. Yep. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out. But we've got an opportunity. We've got to really take it and make the most of it. Um, so pumped for pumped for the women on Sunday. I can't wait for that game. And we, we opened the podcast talking about this uh, almost tangentially, but your in, uh, sort of personal manic week all started on Monday with the open training session at Kellyville over 5,000 fans packing into the training facilities to see their team have a, a fairly relaxed session, if, if truth be told. The players just soaking in the atmosphere, the the special uh, vibe that is grand final week. You uh, had a chat to pretty much half the team, Spiro. Uh, what were your takeaways from the uh, big day there? What a great day it was to be a Parramatta fan. I think a Parramatta fan, a Parramatta player be involved in that club. The feel, the vibe was unlike anything I've ever experienced because you had the families there, all the wives and the the girlfriends and the partners and the children of the players were there. Um, You had the fans, you had the players, you had the media. It was a complete package. You know, it was a real deal. It was the work. So it was a a really special moment. And I think very smart move by the club to hold that on a Monday because you get that out of the way nice and early in the week. You enjoy that and you can really – um, buckle down and focus on your preparations for the game in the back end of the week. So I think it was it was well planned, well structured, and and gave players the best chance to really be in a relaxed mood for that session. Um, as you mentioned, I did speak to a number of the players, and the vibe I got was everyone was pretty relaxed but still very focused. Isaiah Papali'i, uh, you know, I was chatting with him, and I said, "All the best for Sunday, and you've been a great asset to the club." This was off camera, and I said, "You know, we're going to miss you, but." 
I hope you go out a winner on Sunday. And he, and he sort of jumped in and said, 80 more minutes, one more to go, mm. one more to go. That's so it, like a mantra. Yeah, it is. You know, it is. And everyone's really focused on that. Um, Junior Bowler as well spoke to him, and he seemed super laser-like focused on getting a win. You know, he's dreamt of this since he was a kid. He wants to go, uh, you know, send off all of his fellow players with a win. And Reid Marnie as well had a chat with Reid, and, and I thanked him for all of his service at the club and what he's done because he's been brilliant. I mean, we, we struggled for a lot of years there for, trying to find a good hooker, but Reid came into his own and has been a, a brilliant addition to our spine. And I thanked Reid, and he, he sort of hinted at, you know, the job's not done. The job is not over. And it was a general consensus amongst all the players. So it's... um. It's important to, to note that they know the job's not done. Even after that game, I think you mentioned it earlier in the podcast, 40s, that 4020, that um, a lot of the players in the post-match media mentioned that, yep, we're happy yeah. with the win, but the job is not over. And it was from, from Brad, um, you know, right through the whole playing group. That was the messaging that we got. And I think it's really important that we get that messaging. That That's the, the, the mood around town. And I think that, this team has a, a real laser-like focus after that poor result against the Rabbitohs, and, and, and they've got what it takes to go all the way. And obviously the, the open session was just the beginning because grand final week, we, we've mentioned how special it is, how different it is. There's been an absolute barrage, a whirlwind of media articles, Sydney Morning Herald, Daily Telegraph, Fox Sports, uh, you name it. You know, Everyone's getting in because this grand final between Penrith and Parramatta has the makings of something special as the Panthers chase down, you know, consecutive grand final victories plus the Quadrilla, the Eels on their side trying to break the drought. What, As someone that's got a foot in both camps, as, as a dyed-in-the-wool blue and gold fan and as someone that's in the media, what, what are the demands on players like during this whole window, this seven-day period? It's intense. It's intense um, when you think about it because they flew back on uh, Friday night, got back at around about 2 or 3 a.m. I know that... Uh, they had the masseuses that went to visit the individual houses of the players to ensure that their, their recovery was was on point. And then they had the weekend off. Isaiah Papali'i mentioned it to me that they had the weekend off, which gave them a bit of a chance to catch their breath and really prepare for the week ahead. You've got that huge day on Monday. I mean, it's it's a, a big thing. A lot of the players stayed out there, did every single interview that um, people wanted. They signed every autograph, took every photo for fans. So they fill all those requests. Day off on Tuesday, just to to um to just relax and really kick back. They were at training today. Tomorrow, uh, they have the um the fan fest team presentation. So all the players heading to the city do a bit of media there and engage with some of the fans, and that'll be another overwhelming experience. Tonight is a Dalian medal, um, and we know that a number of players will be there. We, not the whole squad, because some players probably you know, want to take it easy, want to have a bit of a relaxing evening. Uh, but there will be representation there from Parramatta. And then on Friday, you've got the grand final lunch where there's a requirement. Brad Arthur will do his his uh, his captain's run media there. Yes. And the players will be present. And then I think captain's runs on Friday in the evening, um, which is going to be good. And then Saturday is sort of the, the last chance to, to just um, – take it easy and prepare so it's a very very demanding week but when you look at it you know I've spoken to I've spoken to people like Shane Flanagan um I've spoken to people like Paul Gallen who experienced a very similar thing to what Parramatta are experiencing this week the pressure of breaking a long premiership drought having no grand final experience 
And I think there are a lot of parallels with that grand final that I'm drawing because Melbourne was um, Cronulla's opposition who had a lot of grand final experience heading into that game. And they were probably the favourites. But Cronulla, they um, they were the underdogs and they managed to get the win. And I see that parallel with Parramatta. And what Paul Gallen and Shane Flanagan said is try to keep the week as normal as possible. Mm. And I think Parramatta have done that and done that well. And Flano mentioned, you know, keep things um, keep things really simple. Get all your commitments over early in the week if you can, like your open sessions. Yeah. So you avoid those distractions. Get the club to organise the tickets because players are going to be hit up with heaps of requests. So the club have handled that as best as they could. They've made sure that the partners and the families have tickets to the grand final and the players aren't being bombarded with requests. So that's been handled really well. So when you look at it, I think they've done well. Um, they, they haven't changed too much. They're going to do their captain's run at Kellyville. The Panthers are going to do their captain run at a core stadium. So that's a, that's an interesting thing. And Gal actually mentioned to me that when the Sharks did their captain's run at a core stadium before the 2016 grand final, it was one of their worst sessions of the year. So see, once they were unsettled, once they changed things, the, the, everything went out the window. So I think for Parramatta, it's good that they're going to Kellyville in their element, build something nice as a squad. And then head out there nice, well, not too early, but nice and early on Sunday to really soak it up and enjoy the build up to the grand final at a course stadium in Sydney Olympic Park. No, very, very well said, Spiro. But you said something that's probably going to trigger a few fans, I dare say, and it's the word tickets. Because goodness oh. gracious, uh, I mean, we, we spoke about how this is probably one of the most anticipated grand finals in a long, long time. The first fully free of COVID grand final we've had since you know the outbreak way back at the end of 2019. Uh, not 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 just to mention the fact that it's you know Penrith v Parramatta, all those storylines that we've already spoken about coming into this game, but come Monday morning, ten o'clock, you have your AAN code uh, tied to your membership, and I don't know who else listened to this podcast try, but I was in there trying to get tickets for my brother and a cousin, uh, my brother's a ticket member with me, and it was an absolute disaster. Uh, got in there eventually. You could see that there was single seats available in other areas, but in the Parramatta and Penrith areas, it was saying multiple tickets available, but you go in there and you just could not buy a single ticket. Whoa. Yeah, look, you're, you're right. You're right, um, 4020. It was an absolute uh, joke, and the NRL need to step in and do something about it. I know Peter Volandis has come out this afternoon with some comments on that, which we'll get to in just a moment. Mm. But let me just start by saying... Uh, there's a flaw in the system when you know, and I know I've had I've had a few um, uh, a few instances where I've gotten intel on this, where non-ticketed club members yeah, are yeah. able to get tickets before ticketed club members. With an, I don't know how they've even got an AAN code. I don't know how it's possible, but for some odd reason, um, people that are not ticketed members have got in there in that window, 10 a.m. Monday morning, and bought tickets and bought more than they should. And 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 some people have gone and then tried to resell them for absurd prices. Yeah, the, the scalping is out of control. And, of course, you mentioned it, but uh, Volandis is currently investigating with the New South Wales government about the matter because there were regulations put back in in 2018, I believe, that you cannot resell a ticket for more than 10% of the face value. And if you go onto eBay right now, there are like bronze tickets in, in, in the vicinity of thousands of dollars, I believe. You know the worst tickets you can possibly buy, and people are charging over a thousand dollars for them. So, yeah, the, it's unfortunately left a lot of fans stranded for arguably the biggest game of their lives as supporters. 
And uh, I know that the Eels are put on a, a are going to put on a big show at uh, Combank Stadium for fans that can't make it there. And you can go to the actual stadium itself and be part of a huge supporter group watching the game live. But it doesn't rectify some of the issues of fans that are trying to chase that once in a lifetime experience. Well, I haven't actually got tickets to mm-hmm. the grand final at the moment. I mean, I'm an, I've booked uh, to go with my father and my brother and a good friend of ours, Pete Sneaky Pete. Shout out to him and his son Zach. Um, so we're going to go the five of us to Combank to watch it at the live site because we just cannot, we couldn't get tickets. We've struggled. Hopefully by Sunday we managed to find something, but we just bought five tickets to the live site yeah. to play it safe. And you know it's wrong. And you mentioned Valandi is on the case. Um, the the law states that you can make 10% profit when you're reselling tickets. Now, I accept that. That's fair. You know, you call a spade a spade. If people want to buy tickets and resell them for 10% more, fine. You know, that that is fair enough. That is fair. But when you see people jacking up these prices, thousands of dollars, it's ridiculous. For battlers, especially Parramatta and Penrith fans that just want to see their team play in a grand final, to not have that opportunity um, because of the, the ticketing situation is just an absolute farce. It's ridiculous. And something needs to be done about it. I think that the club in future, that the NRL should let the club actually handle the allocation of the tickets. Mm-hmm. So if you you have, I don't know, if you have a, a family pass, if you have four season ticket hold season tickets at, with the club, you should then um, somehow be allocated four tickets to the grand final and some sort of expression of interest structure or something like that where members can opt in to uh, purchase those tickets if they come available. Or, or be offered those tickets, that has to be explored because the current way that it's structured is so terrible and so unfair. And I suppose the silver lining here is that as it stands, I think on Tuesday morning they announced that the NRL Grand Final is a sellout, as you'd expect given that it's Penrith v Para. And like I said, the first COVID, or well, not COVID-free, but post-COVID era Grand Final where we've had no restrictions on capacity. So mm. you know, in, in that sense, it is going to be an absolutely huge game, but it is a shame that that's a backdrop to it and hopefully they can rectify this moving forwards. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do about it now. I don't know if there's going to be any change for this yeah. particular grand final situation, but at least in future, something's going to be done about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I reckon if they if they could have sold out uh, a core stadium twice with 160,000 fans, if they could somehow fit 160,000 fans in that arena and sell those tickets, they would have sold oh, them as they, well. They so, would have been uh, uh, two stadiums worth of blue and gold fans, I reckon, that would have made the trip if possible. Without a doubt, without a doubt. So it's disappointing, but it is what it is. I'm sure there'll be plenty of Blue and Gold fans. Um, It's funny that you mentioned, you know, it was hard to get group tickets, but I was faced with a moral dilemma uh, because I was, I just tried my luck when I was trying to buy the tickets at 10 a.m. Monday. I said, oh, let me try the Panthers section. So I went two family (laughs) passes in the Panthers supporters section. And knowing my luck, we actually were offered tickets. I mean, we got it. You know how when you progress through it. Yeah, to the actual checkout, yep. So, so we, um, we, I had that there for the taking. And looking back in hindsight, probably should have just accepted it um, because better to be there than not be there at all. But do you really want to be in the Panther supporters <laughs> section and you're a parent fan? I don't know if that would have been uh, a great experience. <laughs> and uh, I mentioned at the start of the podcast, of course, we are recording on a Wednesday, as always, with the news podcast. And it completely slipped my mind that tonight is the Daly M's until you boys mentioned it. Uh, so with the Daly M's, you know, ready to start about 7.30, I reckon, they, they kick off on the coverage. Uh, there has to be a few eels in the line for individual gongs, Spiro. I know that the Daily Telegraph are pushing Mitchell Moses as a smoky for the overall gong, uh, despite oh, yeah. missing, missing some game time with that busted finger. Uh, but 
who's which of the blonde gold do you think are uh, maybe not going to win, but at least in the running because they've got, I'd say what five eight back row, maybe front row, and even yep. half even halfback if Moses is over in the overall race too. Who have you got True. as guys that will probably win or guys that could win? Um, I want to actually start left of field one, but captain of the year. I think that Parramatta, Junior Paulo, Junior Bolo, and Clint Gutherson should be in the mix because there hasn't really been a standout captain. I mean, Chad Townsend did a great job at the Cowboys. He'll be in the mix. But I think that Junior and uh, Gutho deserve to be there because of what they've done with this side and taken them all the way to a yeah. grand final. And, and there were words said after that Rabbitohs game, which turned our season around. And I think a lot of that was off the back of Gutho and, and Junior's leadership. So I think they're, they're a chance, um, as you mentioned, when you look at the the um, one to one to seventeen or one to thirteen, how they do the team of the year, um, I think in the forward pack, Isaiah Papali'i, Sean Lane, definitely in contention. I, I wouldn't be surprised if both of them actually uh, won gongs. Um, in terms of five eighth of the year, Dylan Brown, he deserves it. He should be there. So maybe Dillbags, Moses, as you mentioned as well, could be in the in the mix. Um, but that's just, they're the, probably the four players that I'd probably say in contention for team of the year. Daliam, Mitchell Moses, he's the chance. I know a lot of people talk about Nico Hines. A lot of people talk about Benton Hunt. And yes, they're deserving and they, they will go close. But I think Mitch, um, he had some brilliant game, brilliant performances in the second half of the season. And he may go very, very close to winning it. Uh, what a story that would be heading into the grand final. Mm, that that would be the Daliam medal. very, very um, spicy. Uh, yeah, and obviously in the front row, we know that Junior Reg have been outstanding for us, but that sort of comes alongside guys like Joseph Tarpanay uh, being mm-hmm. ridiculous in the season too. So it's going to be some tough competition there. But yeah, I'd expect in the back row, probably the Eels get a gong there, whether it's one or both. And then at 5'8", Dill, man, he deserves yeah. it. But the, the question will be if Cameron Munster's gains at fullback count against him, which I don't think they will, because it's going to be really tight yeah. between those two players. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be an entertaining uh, evening and keen to see, you know, how Parramatta fare. But as I mentioned, it'd be great to see a a nice award for Parramatta to recognise their achievement in terms of captain of the year or if there's a – or the Ken Stephen. Is that also awarded tonight in the community? Yes, it should be awarded tonight, the community award, yeah. And I think Dill Dill was our representative, correct, yes. So uh, that's another one to watch 100%. Um. Yeah, so going to be watching that one tonight. Hopefully, the Eels can get. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean anything in the context of the grand final, but it would be nice to see our boys get some uh, public plaudits for their sensational season. And of course, that brings us to our final uh, little bit this week, Spiro, which is the sort of general news and sundries. Um, I mentioned earlier this podcast, there was some good news of Sean Lane. Our week kicked off with a report saying that Lane had all but to, all but, if not agreed, uh, to a new three-year extension worth about 660 a, a season, I think it was, uh, just under $2 million. Uh, has, I think that's in the process of being ratified by the NRL, uh, pending you know all the stuff they do to dot the I's and cross the T's, uh, which is obviously a fantastic fantastic piece of news for the Paramount Eels because Sean Lane, you know, we just talked about him being in the running for a positional award in Dow Yems. He has been on another level in 2022. Correct. You know, he, he may even play himself into an Australian kangaroos mm. jumper as well. Wouldn't be surprised if we saw him in the World Cup. But, yeah, great news. Great news because Laney, he's had a tough few years. You know, he's had a tough goal of it and hasn't really hit his straps. But this year, he has been one of our best. Last week, he was best on ground. And 
he deserves that contract extension off the back of a, a brilliant, brilliant year. So well done, Sean Lane. Great news. Um, there's a bit of talk about Liam Martin as well. Mm, potentially yeah. Coming Parramatta, which the, is exciting. I like, think it was Michael Chamis that yes. initially broke it weeks ago. And then now there's, because there's a connection to Trent Barrett between uh, he and Martin, it's added a little bit of extra depth to the uh, potential uh, developing story there. Very exciting prospect. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, he'd be a, a bit of a replacement for like a Isaiah Papali'i mm-hmm. style of player. And it'd be great news. And I, it's good that Liam Martin hasn't actually written it off. He hasn't come out and sort of, um, uh, how can you put it, put the rumors to bed, yeah, I yeah. guess. But um, but he's come out and said, yeah, you know, it's exciting to be in talks with a club like Parramatta who've been so successful. And that link with Trent Barrett, and, and he's spoken about that, is... Um, is going to help a lot. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Liam Martin wants to come to Parramatta. We're going to have to throw some money at him. But Penrith can't keep everyone. And I think one player that they're probably going to have to let go of is Liam Martin. And he will join, uh, hopefully join Western Sydney rivals of Parramatta mm-hmm. Eels on a, on a nice little contract. So and that's that would a, just a great signing. Add another layer of spice to this ever-growing rivalry between the Eels and the Panthers. It's just gone to another level in recent seasons as the Panthers obviously have taken their own game to such heights, but the Eels too, going almost stride for stride with them. So very, very cool happenings there. About to wrap it all up, Spiro, but we can't say goodbye without getting your final calls on the final games of the 2022 seasons in the NRL and the NRLW. Eels v Panthers, Eels v Knights. How do you see it, mate? Wow, what an exciting day Sunday will be. Probably one of the greatest days of my life. Um, I mean, regardless of the results, just to be there hopefully on grand final day and just to soak it up and feel it all and see your team in a grand final. It's so special. Um, how do I see it all play, playing out? I, I genuinely think that in both games, Parramatta have a chance. And, you know, when you look at the women, they came agonizingly close of beating Newcastle only a couple of weeks ago. They showed they have the game plan to beat them. They beat the Roosters, the reigning champs last week with a, a really great performance. So I think... Don't ride Parramatta off in the women's because they're a good chance. With the crowd behind them, I think the women get the job done and, and set the night off uh, on a, a nice tone. You know, get all the fans pumped for the first grade, <laughs> the NRL, the men's. Yep. So I think the women win and Parramatta, as we know, it's been said this week. We've proven twice this season we can beat Penrith. Even in that first week of the finals, we showed that we could match it with them for 60 minutes. And, you know, if Mitch had stayed on the field, who knows what could have happened there. And I think that we're a genuine chance. We've built a lot of... We've built on the last two performances some huge momentum and huge character in our side. Mm-hmm. And I think we're a genuine chance. I think Parramatta do the double, make history, break the 36-year premiership drought and, and the fir- become the first NRL team to actually um, to, to do the double, win the men and the women. Yeah. So pumped for this Sunday. And I think as Parramatta fans, you can be confident with both our teams. Yeah, what a beautiful way to wrap it up, Spirit. It's been an absolute blast sharing this journey to the grand final with you. And obviously, we're not done yet. You know, if we do manage to uh, consign those 36 years of hell back to where they belong, we'll be uh, getting your take on all of it in the, the post-match breakdown. But until then, mate, enjoy the week. Hopefully, you can score some tickets for you or your friends and your family. Uh, but we'll see yes. you on the other side, big fella. Thank you so much, uh, 40s. To all the fans out there, enjoy it. It's been a long time coming. We deserve it. And just lap it up on Sunday. Soak up the atmosphere and, and make the most of it. So uh, let's go para. One more win, 80 more minutes, and, and the job's done. So we just got to put a, another good performance in, and we're there. So uh, 
Let's go para. Yes, sir. And as always, thanks for stopping by, giving us a listen. Uh, you can catch plenty of other action on the Come On Throw this week. I know there's going to be a ton of pregame content as we build the hype for Sunday. But uh, keep safe, guys, and we'll catch you in the next episode.